Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast for our first awards show of the year, the best sprinter awards for the men Pretty straightforward number one spot, but there's a very difficult discussion to be had to fill out the top three or top five. We've had, uh, I think, uh, a continuance of the changing of a theme with sprinters and how Mm -hmm. teams uh, sort of prepare their teams or construct their teams for the major grand tours. Will we see a reversal of that next year? We'll go through what criteria we want to see when grading the best sprinter, talk about how we think the leadouts have changed this year in the, in the last couple of years, and then go through some of the major sprinters before picking our top five or three. Benji's got a list of 12. I don't go down that far, um, <laughs> to be honest. But yeah, it's been an interesting year, Benji. And I think, um, well, it's clear that Alperson and Philipson, you know, they dominated and with Groves as well. And also, uh, do you think Gronovegan, is there a general theme with Gronovegan, Jakobsen underperforming or are they, or Merlier even, or is there individual reasons for all this? I think there's individual reasons, like, for example, Merlier and a coin not going towards a Grand Tour, for example, that will impact what level of victories they can achieve in a season. Because, for example, if they both arrive at the Vuelta instead of the parkour that they had throughout the year, then they might have won a stage at a Grand Tour this year, which would also add to the prestige of their victories. But I feel like there's individual stories combined with the factor that I believe versatility is more and more important. And I know you believe that as well, because we've had it about that a few times on this podcast so far. And that hinders riders like Jakobsen, who have a harder time getting over a hill compared to a Groves, who has a pretty good time getting over a hill. Yeah, he needs those, and they've sent him to the right races to to achieve those. There's also riders who can't get over a hill, but are good in other ways, like Merlier, who, you know, he can't climb, but Tour of Flanders, he made the breakaway, and he yep. was able to pull there. Brugge de Pana, Shell de Preis, classic-style races he's good at. Wellsford's indicated some ability with that as well. So even if sprinters are the big, burly, pure sprinters, some of them are good in other ways. Ewan often or has been good in uh, Milan San Remo. And there's other guys who are, that's what their bread and butter is, like De Lee, but they really struggle with positioning in the big bunch sprints. So yes. there's a lot of different types of sprinters. We'll sort of go into that now. What, what are the criteria we're looking for, Benji? Like, where does it... Because I wouldn't call Aaron Baru a sprinter. I would almost call <laughs> someone like Corbin Strong is really on the borderline too. He's good in other ways. So what are we looking at for from a sprinter? I guess, first of all, there's top end speed uh, as well. That's like... To me, that's not even number one, actually. But that's okay. one factor is top end speed. If you put this rider in position, how fast are they is pretty important. Yeah. I think that's pretty important. And you, you mentioned already there, put this rider in position, but also the positioning of the rider himself, because it's not always the fault of the lead out that a rider is not in position. They might be very easy to bully out of position in a sprint. They might just not follow the right riders, not make the right decisions of, ooh, we see a lead out dropping there and I get blocked. Oops. Stuff like that happens, and some sprinters are not prepared for that. There's one sprinter in specific that I looked at the last few days that around the roundabout sat in the middle of the group behind a randomage as their lead out, and in that occasion, he got pushed backwards. So that matters for individual riders as well. Competition, I reckon, matters combined with success. Because, like, success is important. I'd rather have a sprinter that wins five Grand Tour stages than someone who's a better sprinter in terms of power, in terms of being able to, I don't know, position themselves, but can't get over hill and therefore isn't competitive in 99% of the season. That's something that matters in my opinion as well. So success matters, but on the opposite end of that, the competition that you fight against, that you sprint against in those sprints, 
in those victories, for example, also matters to me, right? As in, if you beat Konsani, it's not as valuable to me as if you beat Tim Merlier in a head-on sprint. That is true. And so the Tour de France is the ultimate testing ground, right? Where all the best sprinters are there. All the teams with sprinters want them to win a stage of the Tour. All the best leadouts are in theory there. And it's the highest level, the highest stakes. And if you win that, it's kind of all these factors coming into one. But there is also, are you able to win from February to October? Philipson mm -hmm. obviously was, but that's also a factor. And do you have the fitness and the capability to go to the Vuelta, do a second grand tour like yeah. Groves did? And yeah, the, the start list in the, the sprints is, was, as is typical, this is not a secret. This has been the case for a long time. The worst of all the grand tours, or even of any world tour state, any world tour yeah. stage race, frankly. But everyone knows that in advance. Everyone can see the parkour in advance. So I don't. Yeah, you have to say, okay, he's not beating the best there, but you have to turn up as well, and there has to be some credit for that as well. So they're the factors, speed, positioning, competition that they beat, overall success and versatility, which is sort of hills, technical, parkour, bad weather, etc., etc., heat, cold, whatever. And lead out as well is a factor in that. How did the... And that kind of is in positioning, but... How did they perform without a lead-out? How did they perform yeah. with an average lead-out? Uh, which, you know, maybe Sam Bennett gets a knock in that respect, and Olav Koy, I think, gets some credit in that respect. Because sometimes, yeah. or Milano is a big example, uh, gets credit in that respect. Mate, but, yeah, he wins as the lead-out. <laughs> yeah, he, wins, he is his own lead-out. Um, <laughs> same with um, oh, the total guy, Jeffrey Soup. But yeah. what, what have you seen with the lead-outs this year? You went and watched all the, the sprints back. There really isn't, uh, from the tour, there isn't eight teams lining up with six dedicated lead-out men. What have you seen this year? Well, mate, I just saw you upload like an old Hind Wevelham 1992 video and I thought to myself, Jean-Paul Von Poppel, the man with the original sprint train, five, <laughs> six riders in a row, waiting for the final sprinter to come Danny's out of the world and so forth. Danny's dad, exactly. Going further into the future here, I feel like the HTC High Road days, when Cavendish was in that sprint train, it was also a long train that was just at the front of the peloton. Everybody knew that that was going to be the train that was going to be the strongest that day, and everybody kind of respected that somehow. And we saw Quick Step in, oh God, which year? The year Cavendish still won four stage wins. With like and, Trent and Pataki and all them. Yeah, also, but also recently, the, oh, the, yeah, the actual proper lead out we had there by Quick Step also. But I feel like in recent years, and it's something that has happened over time, though, but it's more clear the last two years. We've got two other types of leadouts where you've got the, the pilot's type of leadout. Eduardo Affini, for example, brings a sprinter to the front into a position where they are competitive. Then it's up to the sprinter to try and survive there. Yeah. Sometimes Affini goes beyond that and still hangs out about at the front and still helps out. But that's kind of the piloting I see. Also, Laporte with Alphenard last year at the Tour de France comes to my head in that sense. And then we also have the other one, which is... You've got the Van Poppel leadout, which we mentioned last year, where they're kind of waiting at the back of the peloton and then shoot past at the last minute. But the timing is so important. And also, knowing which side you can launch on, is it on the left, is it on the right... Where's the wind coming from as well? Stuff like that. Where will it open up after this corner? They got to keep that in mind in the, in mind that in the pre-race briefings and so forth. But that's important. But the problem there is a lot of teams fail at that because if you mistime it, you get waved over by the next team that tries that. And do you reckon that DSM is a prime example of a team that still tries the five to six man lead out in a lot of races and always gets waved over? Yeah, they did that a lot. They always present early. They did it from Vuelta a San Juan, where Sam Wellsford did win a sprint yep. against Jakobsen. It, it did work there, but they, they're doing it with... So if you take the Tour de France team, for example, uh, they had Dinham, Vermarca, Hamilton, Bardet. That's four... Kolb. No, no, but I'm, I'm talking about four, <laughs> half the team oh, are yeah. not rulers and are not... Dinham's good, but not classic rulers, not lead-up men. So you're basically trying to set up from 5 to 7Ks with those guys, plus Denkob, Edmondson, Ekhoff. So three dedicated lead-out men for Wellsford. It's not possible. It's not possible to do properly. And when you yeah, look and at then Alperson's team, 
They didn't even do that. And yep. their whole damn team is rulers. It is the traditional team. With you got the, the Dillier, Gurgle type guys, Sir and Kra, who can do that. And then you've got specialist lead-out men, Rickard Sinkledam, who aren't even the last man. Exactly. The Vanderpool's there as well, which is a pretty, pretty big rider to have. It's always useful to have a Von Aert or a, a Vanderpool rider as your lead-out in races. That will certainly help. We saw it in the Tour of Denmark with Van Aert doing it for, um, no, for not doing it in Britain for, uh, for Koi. And then in Denmark, I recall Laporte being the one doing it for, uh, for Koi. So those are like specialized riders that are next level in that sense. So that's a, a special character to have in the team, but I agree there. And you, you mentioned it when it comes to Wellsford, like the, I, I rewatched the first two sprints he had at the Tour de France. The man was struggling in 19th position, completely alone trying to keep himself in position, nobody to bring him to the front. So it's like they were burned out before the last kilometer even started in those. And anyway, we spoke about lead outs. Well, I just, want, I, I just want to tie a bow on that. Okay. I still think there is space for the traditional 2010 HTC lead out. You just okay. have to have the right riders. In fact, I think it could even be more effective now where you, go, you just hold position with the GC guys to 3Ks and then you're fighting a lot of teams who don't even have specialist leadouts, who haven't brought the right leadouts, like Alperson did, but mm -hmm. you've got to have the right riders to do it. And obviously, most teams, the, the transition is no one wants to bring seven dedicated guys for a sprint train. Yeah. And so, realistically, it's not going to happen. So, how do you do it, manage it in a world where half your team are punchers or GC riders? And so, it is the late move up Bora style, which also is sort of the, the middle ground option that we see a lot of teams trying. Well, they, they do it quite well. Bennett wasn't able to finish it off. But yeah, that's, how, that's my view on the leadouts. I think there's space for everything. And then the Poisson Pilot, one-man army guy, uh, Athene style. Yeah, exactly. Now, I also want to say, like, there's also the danger, if you're at the front with seven riders, that we also see that the, the sprint train kind of splits in half and you lose half your sprint train. Yeah. So these are all things that are dangerous parts of each of those sprint trains but i agree lead outs are changing and i'd argue that because of the poisson pilot because of the the new strategy like from popple i feel like the lead out matters so much and sometimes is not seen as valuable as they actually are yeah i think because like you've got a list here benji of sprinters uh, Bauhaus, Lee, Mayus, Milan, Wilson, Pedersen, Ewan, Cavendish, Groenewegen, Jakobsen, Groves, Koi, Melier, Philipson, Bennett, you didn't have Bennett anywhere. Milano, DeMar, Oops. Ackerman, Decline, Tyson, Gaviria. Probably that's not even including guys like a Corbin Strong. Yeah. I couldn't name 10 professional leadouts. Yep. Just the first man. I couldn't name 10 first men, let alone as the second guy. First men we completely trust, as in we would hire to do a leadout. I agree. Yeah, I, I could name 10 random leadouts, but they might not be good at their job. Yeah, I couldn't name them. And I guess that's it. I mean, maybe I might knock Alexis Renard. It's also hard to sometimes disentangle the leadout from the sprinter's ability yep. himself. How good is Renard or how good is how good is Christoph? I don't think very good, frankly, in the bunch sprints anymore. But I think his leadout and Uno X leadout in the tour often impress me. And I think yep. it was often a Christoph problem. But sometimes he was also dropped off with 500 meters to go in Crow Race, for example. And like you look at Van Poppel and Murkov, Murku in 2023, for example, and you think, oh, have, have they declined to give a bit because their sprinter is not as successful as they were in previous years? Or is it because the relationship, the chemistry between those sprint, that sprinter and the lead out are not necessarily as good anymore? Because we saw Jakobsen visibly not choose a Murku wheel in some of the sprints and if he had, if he would have been in a better position, for example. But we also have seen moments where Merku wasn't on the level that he was before. So it's like probably a combination of the two. But I do feel like leadouts are often seen as worse just because their sprinter is not competing at a level. Like we mentioned a few times on this podcast, a rider like Daniel McClay always feels like a good leadout to me if I see him. He did it for Buhani back in the days. Like I'd like to see him do that for a world tour team. Yeah. And. I don't know if he's, I think he's going to do that for DeMar next year, maybe. But so the problem is sometimes guys, they're 
that good, they don't want to be a leader. And that's where you have, you know, the best leadouts in the world are Van der Poel, Christophe Laporte, and Wout van Aert, but they're not full-time leadout riders because <laughs> they're too good to do that. But let's get into the sprinters and their seasons. It's hard to go past uh, Jasper Phillips. And do you know why he didn't go to the desert, Benji? Because he starts his season in Kerner. I don't know what the specific reason was, but I recall the, the storyline back in the day being that Alperson, oh, they're starting their season late. Oh, they don't look that great in their first few races. Ooh, is something wrong at Alperson and so forth? And I feel like that narrative quickly changed when March hit. <laughs> because when yeah. March hit, Tireno arrived, Milano Sanremo arrived, and they were winning left and right. So it's a late season start for Jasper Philipson. But in total, the man had eight World Tour victories and 19 total victories. So 11 non-World Tour victories. I'm not counting the uh, the national non-UCI races, for example, like the Leidel Kurse or something like that. I'm counting the actual like races that matter in that sense. But if we look closer at that, the eight Walter wins are also wins at high level. Like we're talking about Tour de France sprints when it comes to Philipson. Yeah. Four stage at the Tour de France, including the green jersey. The green jersey aside for a second. If we take a look at the individual sprints that he rode, Stage 3, Stage 4, Stage 7, Stage 11 are the ones that he won at the Tour de France. His lead-out does quite a bit of work in some of them, as in Van der Poel was great at his job. Stage 3 was the one where you had the, the bend where he basically borderline deviated into Wout van Aert yeah. towards the barriers. He ended up winning that sprint when Wout van Aert also stopped on the right side of him. When it comes to sprinting, Stage 4 was the one where Mathieu van der Poel pushed Kirmay aside to make sure he could lead out Philipson. And stage 7 is really the one where... Stage 7 and 11 are the ones where you can really look at Philipson himself. As in, in stage 7, Van der Poel launches lead out, forcing... Well, and he burns out too early. He's burning out too early to the point that Philipson has to jump to an other sprinter, which is that one where Cavendish is actually the one sprinting on the right. Philipson jumps to the wheel of Philipson, and you got this scenario where... You basically have Cavendish with a shifting problem, remember? Yeah, his gear skipped to the back. It jumped up a cog, sprint over. He wasn't very happy. So here you see that adaptability that I'm talking about. It matters, like the positioning adaptability. And in stage 11, it's even more where he basically has to do everything alone in a, a sprint with not an Alpacin train to lead him out. So that's where his own positioning really comes out. So it's not just that he has the best lead out. He's also, in my opinion, very good at positioning and very good at adapting mid-sprint. That's why he wins so much, 19 wins, is because the parkour has to be very, very hard beforehand for him to be dropped. Like, this yep. guy is not someone you need to worry about the time cut. He's he's not even in the Gruppetto. He's often in the group that actually yeah. is kind of ahead of the Gruppetto riding with, like, puncher-style riders. He climbs really, really well. He makes all those. He makes bad weather. He makes crosswinds. He makes uphill drags, which was the the um, motorway circuit one, Benji. Kind of was a little bit uphill where Ewan came second, I think, and Cockard was decent, where Van der Poel got relegated yeah. against uh, Binium. Yeah. I will say, uh, and this is, I think, evidenced by his losses in... Uh, well, actually, no, the break one on, on stages 18 and 19, but on the Champs-Élysées... I don't think he's necessarily in a 150-meter side-by-side sprint out and out like the quickest dominant sprinter. And that would be impossible, I think, because physically he, there's no way he can put out the absolute 5 to 10-second power numbers fresh that Jakobsen, Groenewegen, and Merlier can. There's, I, mm -hmm. I don't believe he can, but he's super aero. And those situations where those other top guys get delivered fresh into the equal position as Philipson are few and far between. And yeah. sprinting and winning across the season is about playing the numbers. Being in that right position, he does it better than anybody. Sometimes I think unfairly, and um, I think the UCI could have looked at a few of his sprints this year, but they didn't. Yeah. And it's it's not up to him to relegate himself. He plays he plays to <laughs> how the rules are enforced and the game's the game. Yeah. So he, I mean, he's the best sprinter of the year by far. Full TDF wins alone is that. I do think he had the best lead out in the tour. I do mm -hmm. think he is beatable. Yeah. And I I I do love how he's also great in classics like Roubaix, unbelievable second, Brugada Pana. Um, but yeah, he just. When was the last sprinter like this? He was the best sprinter in the world, Benji. 
What do you mean? Who, As in who, who wasn't like a kettle calf sprinter? Who was actually less like also he's he's both the best classic sprinter like Pete Degenkolb back in the day, and also the best bunch sprinter in the world. I don't know actually. I'd have to go back and take a look at every year because like, hmm, I don't know about that. I couldn't tell you, but I do want to say like, you see stage twenty one at the Tour de France Champs Elysees. I don't think that's a very indicative stage to whether Philipson or something is better because Philipson was riding on the on the bad side of the Champs Elysees because yeah, like, you've got the one side that's more smooth to ride on, you've got the other side that's more wobbly to ride on when it comes to the cobbles, and Jordi Meus kind of benefited from being on the on the good side there. So positioning matters there, and I, I think like you said, it versatility matters. Stuff like that matters. And the most important factor that you mentioned there for me is the value that a team can give is not just the lead out that you see in the last sprint. When analyzing a sprint, it's too often just seen as the sprint itself. It's the part that comes before it. The fact that he's not in the wind while moving up. All that stuff can lead to that tiny bit of percentage more in the actual sprint that actually makes a difference over their top end differences. And that's why, for example, in the Balwaza of Belgium tour, I reckon that he had a sprint against Jakobsen, there were Jakobsen 1v1 beat him. Like, there are moments like that, because these riders are relatively similar when it comes to their top speed, when they're head-to-head -head after stages where they both have been able to save until the sprint, then it's going to be difficult to have that difference between the two. But Philipson makes a difference for me when it comes to positioning, when it comes to versatility, when it comes to his team delivering him with less fatigue at the sprint, and that's about the three things I can think of. Yeah, I think having picking up single down from the wreckage of BNB, you know, and, and he's yeah. not even, he's not the last man. He's not the second last man. They put a, a guy, he's not good enough to be a top last man anymore, I don't believe. But you put him third last man yep. to help it in the melee, perfect for it. And Rickart was the best last man. And, you know, he had health issues, comes back second. It's, so the, the construction around it is perfect and, you know, we haven't even got on to gross. But yeah, that was Philipson's season. An interesting one is Tim Malia, who I think is, he, he's similar to Philipson in terms of good in the classics, opened the year super hot. Also one of those guys like Jakobsen, when you put him in space and it just get, he, yeah. it clicks, he looks like no one can beat him and he's the fastest in the world. First stage of Oman. But then, I don't know, whether, <laughs> there was another stage that, Oh, yeah, he can't. There was one stage that was in between. Oh, I can't remember, but I swear there was one stage where I was like, oh, maybe you could have done a little bit better there. Oh, so for example, uh, the Muscat Classic. Like, he just can't yep. get over a hill. Like, Yenti Berman's won there. He can't get over one. Um, Paranese won the first stage. UAE won two stages against good competition. Can't label him okay. And then I swear I didn't see this guy after Tour of Flanders, Benji. I never... Yep. I don't remember seeing him. Okay, he won Polonia races and second in Renui Tour, but his schedule to me leaves a lot to be desired. And I think he was supposed to be preparing for the Vuelta. Yeah. And that's uh, and then Remco went in. I still think they should have sent him. I know I said that before. I said there's yep. no reason why they couldn't have sent him, but uh, I think his Especially season could, with the team could they look a lot better. Yeah, exactly. He could have played the role of Gaspar Peterson. Obviously, Gaspar Peterson can get over a hill better and so forth, and stuff like that, but Merlier could have could have played a role. He was he was valuable in the team time trial at the yeah. UAE Tour, for example, to the team. So he's willing to work for others as well. And in the UAE Tour stage, he won like, yes, it was a millimeter sprint versus you in the first one. And yes, the last one, the last one is really impressive because they're basically in that, it's that sprint in UAE where it's kind of the, the, the what do you call it? The bendy one. <laughs> the, the one where... Yeah, the chicane one, where you got to kind of go diagonally through a certain corner with your lead out to make sure nobody can come on each side of you. And Bora had a lead out there. He starts in P11 at like 350 meters to go. And this guy just slides on barrier side alone, positioning himself, adapting there, going under the, the Bora lead out and opens a sprint at 250 meters relatively early. Like ideally as a sprinter, you don't want to go at 250 meters to go. And he straight up cleans people. So... He can also do stuff alone, but in other days, I'm also like, there were a lot of sprints where he started from a position that was uncompetitive. You said that he won a stage of Pyrenees. He also lost a stage of Pyrenees, stage five, where he was sprinting from P10. When the sprint started, finishes P3, if I recall correctly. 
Renui Tour, Stage 1, he lost that, sprinting from P10 to P2. There's all these sprints in there where you notice him in the background and he sprints towards the front, but if he was in a better position, he'd be competitive for the actual sprint. And I haven't looked at it close enough to figure out whether it's... I think that leader was Dobson. Okay. Familiar. Because, like, he has five Walter wins and 11 total wins. You, you mentioned a few of them, and I'm like... Are these victories, two in UAE Tour, one in Paris, one in Rui Tour, four World Tour in those? Like, he's got, a, he's got a race schedule that's less prestigious than the old Phil Bauhaus schedule, let's be honest about that. Phil Bauhaus had a better schedule this year than Tim Merlier, which is shocking to say. I think recency bias will lead many people to underrate Tim Merlier's sprinting. I think year. so. I think a lot of people will put Koi above him. I don't have Koi above him. I have, I have, I'll do it in all. I, I have Merlier second best this year, second best sprinter this year because okay. I don't think the lead out was that good. I think in space delivered fresh. He's maybe the quickest guy on his day. He is inconsistent. Does he get penalized? Like, was he going to go to the World Tour? I think so. Is that his fault? Um, didn't get picked for the Tour de France. Jakobsen went. I think Merlier should have gone. Luke's going to kill me for saying that. Um, <laughs> I think, yeah, I think he's, he was really, really good and his wins are of the highest quality and really impressive. Yep. So, yeah, and, and he, is, he is quicker than guys like Coy and Groves, but as you said, like, those guys uh, have other attributes and characteristics. So I'm interested to see what happens with him next year because it, I can't see their lead-out having been improved too much. But maybe I'll, I mentioned Coy. Let's get into the two versatile guys. Koi's yeah. got the second most wins of any of the sprinters, I think. 13 total, four World Tour wins. Three of them were at Polonia and Guangxi. One was at Paris-Nice, though. I think he is... He is Philipson two years ago. He is Philipson who got beaten by Cavendish in the Tour de France mm-hmm. 2021 over and over and over and over, who didn't quite have that top end, end, was always in position, because Philipson came second four times, I think. Yeah. And the thing is, if you're in position all the time, you actually still win a lot. If you're always there to be competitive, and I think his uh, fitness is very, very good. But yeah, it's clear to me, Benji, when you look at that sprint against Milano and Guangxi this week, there was one of those sprints where I think Milano just rides away from him. And that wouldn't have happened to Philipson. So yep. Koi is ticking like four of the five boxes. I think he's just missing that, that top-end speed right now. I agree with you on that one. I, I feel like when I look at him, there's been like bumps in the road this season and also progression compared to last year and the previous years. Because I remember back in the day, Olaf Koi, I think Seg Racing or something was the team that he was initially on, arriving at Lissaman, I, I hope, if, if my memory serves me right. And... He like built that up and he gradually got better when it comes to his speed and so forth. But last year at the start of the year, I felt like he was, he was having the speed. I feel like he was competing with top sprinters at the UAE tour last year already. Yeah, yeah. And I felt like his positioning was a major issue there. As in, his lead out was not perfection last year. Let's be honest about that. During Tumal- that race. Tumalan, yeah, it was second last man. Well, I think Rosen was also part of that terrain. Yeah. Uh, but next to the lead out, he also didn't really fight for the for the wheels right. Like, for example, if he wasn't like the top seven riders or something, he might get squished back to top eight. He might get squished back to top nine by the time the sprint starts. Then you're not in a position to make that sprint happen. And I feel like he fights for his positions better this time around. I feel like we saw that progression already during last year, but even more this year when it was actually on point in the majority of the race. So... Positioning he's now really good at, actually. And I think there might have been a moment this year, UAE Tour Paranese, the both of those, where in the UAE Tour and in some stage of Paranese, he obviously won a stage there, but in the first two stages, I think, there was the feeling in my head where could he be spending more energy moving into position instead of his previous saving energy in a bad position? Because last year he saved energy in a bad position and therefore maybe had the speed but didn't have the position to be competitive. While at the start of this year I felt like he might have spent more energy moving into position but might not have the top speed left to be able to beat the people while he's in that position. That makes sense? 
Yes, that makes sense. Because there was a lot of UAE stages where he flashed late, and you're like, "Ooh, if he'd just been in space, he would have won that. If he just was, he would have won that." But you're right, maybe other guys already spent their energy earlier and Bennett beforehand. I think I wouldn't say. He had the best lead out all year in Tour of Britain. He certainly did. I mean, a lot of his wins <laughs> are Tour of Britain, Guangzhou, yeah, they are stat padding like the year before. The Paranese is the big crown where he beats good guys there uh, yeah. after coming second a couple of times as well. Because in, uh, yeah, he came fourth in the first stage, second in the, in the second stage, and then won the fifth stage. So he's just always there or thereabouts. I think he's. Uh, also, a, he's a classic sprinter too. Second in Brugadapana, eight, eighth in Genfevelhem. I really want to see him at opening weekend next year mm-hmm. uh, in Kerna and Omlop. Just, I think he can be a... I think he's just a good all-round racer. He reminds me of Damar a little bit, actually. Peak Damar. Yeah. Um, as well, he was good in... Oh, the, the Netherlands road race. He, on a punchy circuit, him and Van Bala worked over Van der Poel. So... I can't wait to see how he goes. He's still on the stages like in the Bingo Bongo Tour. Uh, he's still not quite good enough um, in the cl- proper classic stage. Yep. Uh, the Heraldsbergen stage, he got, um, yeah, he got lost all his time there. I think the next step up to, to get to the sort of Pedersen classics level, you need to be uh, staying around with those guys on those stages. But he's a sprinter. He had a fantastic year. And I think he's going to be going to a Grand Tour next year. Has to, Benji. Like, do we pan- can we penalize Coy for not doing a Grand Tour when it wasn't like it clearly wasn't his choice? It's not his fault. Like, it's the same with Merlier. He also got fucked over when it comes to the the team race program and so forth, hindering his program personally. So those two riders are affected by that. But if they are both at the Vuelta, Groves is not winning three stages, in my opinion. No, that's just how I see it. So. Well, this is the big one here. The best sprinter at Groves has four Grand Tour stage wins. Yes. Six World Tour, five. No, six World Tour because two at Catalonia. Yes. I don't think Groves was a better sprinter than Coy this year. No. I, like, I really yeah. don't think he was. Let's look at the categories for a second. We said at the start speed, Coy Co- is faster, Coy. in my opinion. Positioning and adaptability, Coy. I'd still put Coy higher. Competition, Koi sprinted against better competition when winning the races. Success, Groves won more races, deserves to win that one. One more prestigious races, yeah. sorry. More prestigious races. So Groves takes that one. Uh, no. Yeah, Wait. Groves takes that yeah, one. Yeah, Groves takes that one. And then versatility, Groves is higher in my opinion. Groves yeah, is Groves can climb, unbelievable climber, yeah. So it's not, it's not super distant between the two, but... Is it me or... I think there's a big gap in the big boy bunch sprints again with the top guys all there. Yeah, I think so as well. But in my head, I'm also thinking we're hammering the point that versatility is so important. But how important is it? And are we looking at it in the glasses of a, of a pure sprinter classification? No, because versatility matters, right? Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah, like Pedersen, I also consider in this category. Well, if I know they also yeah. consider in this category, they just weren't good enough this year. But Pedersen's a sprinter, he's a versatile one too. You know, if yep. did he do the Vuelta? No, if they'd sent him to the Vuelta like they did the year before. I mean, yeah, they, they leaned on him heavily. <laughs> I, it really, really matters. But yeah, that's why I have... Like, if you said to me which sprinter was the best, even... Just off the top of my head, I would pick Koi over Gross. But then let's go into yeah. the... We spoke about Vasily. Let's go to the traditional ones. We'll, we'll try yeah. to do these a little bit quicker. Jakobsen, Gronovac, and Cavendish, Ewan. Uh, these are sort of the, the sprinters deluxe of the 20... Well, Cavendish longer, but, you know, 17, 18, 19, 20. They were, they were killing at 21. 
Jakobsen had a bad year. Sorry, Luke. Yeah. Close, your, close your ears. Um, one World Tour win at Torreno, seven total wins, crash in the Tour, didn't trust his lead out, sometimes his fault, sometimes the lead out's fault, can't get over a speed bump. I think the positioning has just such, been such a problem for him yes. this year, and I just, for DSM next year, I really worry how that's going to work. But sometimes Benji, like in that hungry sprint, which, okay, it's hungry, but it was against Gronenwegen. Yeah. He's another one where on his day, you think this is the best sprinter in the world because yep. he can put five bike lengths into someone who's also good, like nothing in the saddle. And you're like, he has incredible power. So what, what went wrong for him this year? I think he still has the speed. I think it's... We said it with Marlier as well. I feel like the quick step lead outs were not effective this year. No. And I would say that it's not just the lead outs fault when it comes to Jakobs. And there were moments where he just wasn't following his lead out or where he was just surfing wheels in the wrong way and didn't get it to, into a competitive position that way. So I reckon it's a combination of both the team and his fault that he wasn't positioned in races. But I think position was the big issue. I will say there were moments where I was like, oh, Kind of expected more from Jakobsen. If he's in this position, he should be doing better. I think in San Juan there were moments like that, but then again, San Juan's really early on the season, so how valuable can that be seen throughout the rest of the year? There were sprints like, you said it, the one you mentioned, Hungary, but also Bawaz of Belgium, to where, where he really was, was on point. Then the Walter victory that he did have, it's interesting because the scenario is like this. We've got Gavidia, Jakobsen, Philipsen in the sprint. Gavidia launches early. Philipsen reacts to that early and gives Jakobsen kind of somewhat of a lead out. And Jakobsen wins out of the wheel of Philipsen. But on one hand, you can say, yes, he benefited from the scenario in the sprint, but most sprinters would also not be able to come out of Philipsen's wheel anymore at that point. So you still got to give him the credit for it. Philipsen's a hard guy to draft. He's so aero, yeah. like Coy, aero as well. He's like old Cavendish or current Cavendish still, you know, they're not giving you much behind. So... Yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I do think that Philipson crash, you know, I, I do think Jakobsen could have won a tour stage. I really do. Because would he have consistently come top three in stages? No. Mm -hmm. But there were so many goddamn sprints. Maybe one of those breakaway transition stages on 1819, quick step, pace it back if they still have Jakobsen in the race. I think he would have really gone close to winning one um, if he'd stayed in the race. Maybe not after the big mountains, but yeah, a tough year for him. And certainly not, not in my top three. Um, the reason I don't think he would have is because I believe he would have had too much trouble in the Tour de France lead up towards the sprints based on what we've seen outside of the Tour de France. But then yeah. again, Jordi Mayo's one on the Champs-Élysées. So, like, but he might no have, offense but, yeah, to Jordi but he Mayos. Yeah, but he faked a mechanical on the Champs-Élysées the year before. Oh, okay. <laughs> but... No offense to Jordi Meus, but that is an outlier for Jordi Meus. Jordi Meus is not a top sprinter as a no. consequence of once winning on the Champs-Élysées. Like, we got to keep it objective here. I'm Belgian. I love Jordi Meus, but I'm not going to put him at the top three of my sprinting list as a consequence of that one sprint. Then if Jordi Meus can do that, Jakobsen can also do that in that race if yeah. he's positioned well. So it's all about the positioning for me. And Dylan Grunewagen is a similar and different story, as in... One world to win six total wins. It's very similar to what Jakobsen had. One world to win seven total wins. And that world to win was in UAE to refer yeah, goal. He served on Sam Bennett's wheel and then ended up winning from the wheel of Sam Bennett after lead out of Van Poppel for Sam Bennett. But looking at his Tour de France, I think is the most important for me, which stage three and four, I, I looked at those sprints and the man was burned out before the sprint started. And... Then we get to stage seven where he's well positioned, but lacked the energy to get to properly sprinting. And these are three sprint stages where Alveson really threw it all in the all in the fire by having a proper lead out, by making it hard for everybody in that lead out and so forth. It was also a hectic final, so a lot of fighting for positioning. And then we have stage 11, for example, where there's weak lead outs. We don't have Vanderpool doing the lead out, for example, for Philipson in that stage. He ends up second. My theory is that hectic finals and hard leadouts by Alpecin with Vanderpool and so forth burn Grunewagen before yep. the sprint starts. I agree. Because, yeah, you think, oh, he's going to kick now. We're going to see yep. this, this big dump of 1,800 watts, and it doesn't happen some of the time. And in the desert, we did see that. 
In yeah. Saudi tour, we did see that. In UAE tour, we saw that uh, on a couple of the stages. To be honest, he was much more consistent than I thought he was, uh, Grona Vegan. Like, yep. he really was a lot more consistent than even someone like Malia, actually. Uh, he scored quite a few points for a sprinter that didn't win, that only won world, one world tour race. Uh, 30 years old. I think the biggest problem, and this is going to be exacerbated by, exacerbated by them adding Caleb Ewan, which I don't think we've mentioned, yep. Jaco, next year is the lead out I don't think was good enough. They mm -hmm. didn't send Campbell Stewart to the tour with him. He went to the Giro where he actually positioned Matthews quite well. And he's looked good at the end of this year, Campbell Stewart. And this is what we spoke about at the top of the show. Teams are always thinking about the sprinter. And it's like, well, you're paying Groenewegen got to be good money. Solid seven figures. You are not yep. sure because it's a lotto thing. You're not going to unlock that but that success without the correct lead out. And like Mez gets look good. He can look good in Saudi and look good in uh, Slovenia and look good in Hungary. But Mez gets is not Afini, is not Tiller, is not Laporte, is not Van Poppel, in my opinion. Good, nice rider. Sometimes did do a good job. I think Mez gets second last in the Mullen role. Very, yeah. very good in the Rickard okay. position. But they're missing a, a top leader, and I think missing also, yeah, missing a few pieces, and also timing, and, and a lot of things. I, I think a lot of they had a lot of problems putting Granovegan in good, but maybe it's his fault too. Exactly, and I feel like I criticized Jaco at the start of the year, if I recall, by sending their sprint train to Saudi, if I recall, instead of to a race with proper competition yeah but and they I have a Saudi sponsor yeah i know but which it's logical sponsor wise but sportive wise yeah i think they could do better and i got criticized ma massively for saying that but i feel like it really delivers on the point now where the weaker the lead out of the opponents are the better it is for jaco when it comes to their own lead out because in all the races where their lead out is on level or better than other leadouts, that's where they can deliver their sprinter in a good position. When there's other teams with competitive leadouts, they're fucked. Yeah, I think so. They get washed over really easily and they get washed all the way back. And then they're literally f scrapping to just yeah. put Gronovegan in, even a position where he can do any sprint at all. I still think Gronovegan is really quite good. Um, yes. And I'll be interested to see how it goes. Do you think, I think he'll have a better year than Fabio next year. It's interesting because, like, first of all, Caleb Ewan, you mentioned it, him coming to oh, the yeah, team. Let's just go to him. Ah, let's mention them both at the same time and yeah. then afterwards make a conclusion about them because Caleb Ewan had a, a pretty shit season, but he was robbed, right? He was robbed not only once, but twice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the uh, GP Monser, which I forgot about, where his former teammate, Tyson, beat him, who went into Marche. Uh, also, I, I don't know about the Tyson one. The Merlier one to UAE, I don't know what happened there. I swear there was no difference. I That was a fiction. Uh, they should have been... I think both of them should have been a dead heat by the letter of the law, frankly. Like, it was too close Wait, to be certain. If you don't remember, most today is the one where they had that finish photo that was so blurry that you couldn't make out anything when it comes yeah, to the They were dead heats. <laughs> exactly. Like, normally when it comes to... A sprint where you can't make out the winner, there's a rule in the rule book that you can do a dead heat. I think it's only in championships, though. I'm not sure. Which, which then leads to, like, the riders having to do a 1v1 over one kilometer, which I really want to see that at some point. That sounds amazing. But to go back to you and, like, zero world to wins, one total win, a random, a random Belgian classic that I, even I don't care about. So, oops. But that being said, he was still competitive when he was in position in certain sprints. Let's start off with your amazing race, Sandstone and Under. He was completely out of position in that, I think it was stage one, when he was riding for the Aussie national team. Was like sprinting from P15, finished seconds. So from 15th to second in 200 meters, like not the best yeah. competition. Let's put that aside for a second. Versatility. Two down under, stage three. I think it was Victor Harbour, Campbelltown. Like a hill towards the end in the last 15 kilometers. He finished like P6 he won the or something. Room. He won the bunch sprint behind. Of like a small group behind against like the versatile sprinters like yeah. Corbin, Strong and so forth. So he still has this versatility that we also see at Milano San Remo sometimes when it comes to Ewan. So 
I think he's going to win multiple sprints at the Santos Tour and Under next year. Combined with what I said about Jayco, they will have a competent sprint train at that race. Other teams might not. Maybe Alpecin brings Groves with a, with a lead out, which might be problematic. But that being said, I reckon he's going to be back to winning ways more than this year. But whether he can do it on the top step, I don't necessarily see it oh, yet. That's the weird thing, because the first two sprints in the tour, he on the podium of both, third and second. And then just the complete meltdown happened with Lotto Destiny. Now, St Stefan Ulo said he kind of regrets what he said during the tour. Mm -hmm. That's not how he'd approach it in the future, to be honest. I've got no problem with what he said. Um, <laughs> I am intrigued that, like with we've seen a couple of times, Bennett went back to Bora after a bad breakup. Was, was that a success? No. Barguil is going back to DSM after a bad breakup. We'll see how that goes. Now Ewan is going back to Jayco after they left him out of the tour team in whenever, when he was the yep. best sprinter in the world, maybe. And he went to Lotto, won a, won a lot of races. And um, he's going back there with Grondewegen still there. And uh, I don't know who's going to be the lead out. So obviously his teammates weren't also too impressed with how he was racing. And also, frankly, yep. when they were in the relegation battle, seeing a guy give up on fighting for honorable positions in sprints yes. uh, last year, really wouldn't have endeared him to uh, management or his teammates either. So don't know what, don't know how the financials worked out. My, I'm just going to spitball. I reckon Lotto Destiny eating a bit of cash. Mm -hmm. 200, 300, maybe. I'm, yeah. I could be so far off. So he leaves. Maybe he's eating a bit of cash. 200, 300. And then, because they said he's still earning more than Delee, right? Uh, after Delee's extension at Lotto, and then maybe Jayco are paying 70%, 65% of what he was earning, supposed to earn in 24 at Lotto. I don't know. It he was be. on 2 mil at Lotto. 2 mil. So yeah, my guess is like he's eating 3, Jayco, uh, Lotto eat 3, and Jayco paying 1, 2, 1, 3. Uh, could be completely wrong. Don't know. But That's what speculation is for, huh? <laughs> but the combination of both, you mentioned it at the start of this discussion about them, it's going to be hard for them to manage their leadouts for those two riders if they already had trouble managing it for one rider. But, like, I don't necessarily believe Grunewagen might just step up from here, but it's hard to see Caleb Ewan not step up from 2023. <laughs> yeah, so it, I think he has to be better. You know, he's only 29 years old. Uh, would I have... Would I have given him the money with the next two years being important for relegation from Jayco? I don't know. If they can get Ewan in the right headspace with the right yep. lead out to the right races, he might be with the increased points in Grand Tour stages. What? And, and they got to send him into to the Giro. If we sent Matthews and Ewan to Milano San Remo, and they're both in the second group, Matthews will start riding for Ewan, and he suddenly got a competition. <laughs> Matthews ride for Ewan. <laughs> but Ewan ain't gonna ride for Matthews, that's for certain. <laughs> Remember when we were like, what will happen with Tali and Ewan in Milan San Remo? And then Tali got dropped on Chipressa. Um <laughs> I mean, you know who should be Ewan's lead out in the Giro? Matthews. I don't want to know. Oh. It should be Stuart then yeah. Matthews' last man. If they, I actually agree. They should. Putting egos aside and everything. There's other stages from Matthews, but the others yep. are pure sprints that Ewan is the better option for. Anyway, uh, hopefully he improves uh, next year or gets back to his winning ways. I'll try to speed run, run through the others. Uh, Bauhaus, uh, only one. Is that right, Benji? He only had one win this year? Yes. His schedule was completely flipped to do the Tour de France, and he only has one win, but it's a World Tour win, so... Oh, I mean, TDU. <laughs> You're not roasting the Tour down under. <laughs> but... So he Not was very consistent year. at the Tour de France. I think he had the most podiums outside of, of a sprinter outside of... No, nah, three points at Tour three de France podiums, or something? Three podiums, yeah. And scored more points than in any of his other career years. So yeah, he was consistent. He just went on... He got a bit maybe... Not exposed, but we, we knew this was his level that yeah. it's a big difference between Crow Race sprints and the Tour de France, quite obviously. Uh, Wellsford, four total wins. Uh, breakout in San Juan, where he beat Jakobsen and yeah. Bennett. I think he was there with... Uh, with Van Poppel, got that DSM, uh, got the Bora contract, sorry. But, uh, DSM replaced him with Jakobsen. He replaces Bennett, some musical chairs there. Struggles 
with uh, he's a traditional sprinter, pure sprinter, good in flat classics, but versatility. There's a knock positioning, I think a bit of a knock as well, but top end speed, very, very, very fast. I also think that not just his fault is a positioning. The team was also not just very good at helping him. I mentioned at the start of this uh, of this podcast, like uh, Twitter France, the fact that he has two sprint stages where he's fighting in 17 position alone without any help. In the other stages, he's being sent into Narnia, Narnia because the team goes around the wrong set of roundabouts because of preparation there. Like, Bora will definitely do better with Wellsford to the point that I'll say that he's probably going to be a breakout sprinter next year and move into the top sprinters next year. But the versatility will be a problem and will probably remain that unless he can really... I know, do you feel like... He showed himself at Schelderpreis at some point in that echelon I think he's good version. in flat classics and in echelons, and in Saudi, in, he was good in echelon too, so... What do you think about Wellsford in, Ru in Roubaix in five years? I think, why not? Why not send him to Roubaix? Bora's classic squad is terrible anyway, so it's not like they have eight good riders <laughs> yeah. to send with Politcon to, to Paris-Roubaix. Uh, he should do the Giro with the lead-out, uh, because Roglic will, is going to the Tour de France. Van Poppel, right? Yeah, yeah, Van Poppel and Mullen should go to the Giro with... with uh, they should fully construct an Alperson-style lead-out and try and win f as many stages as possible with Wellsford. Do you reckon they might overrate Jordi Meus as a consequence of his Champs-Élysées compared to Wellsford, who I believe is a better sprinter? Maybe you send him as a... I don't know. No, no, I don't think so. They can see the numbers. They can see the data. That There's no way. There's no way. Um, Pedersen... More of a classic strider, but still three sprint wins, super versatile, um, good in one-day classics, but just not that top uh, top bunch sprinter. Although, you know, Paranese, he's got in cold, wet conditions yeah. in, a, in a tricky stage. He's still very good. He, I think he lacks the top end of... Uh, yeah, like he just lacks a bit of top end. We saw when he got yeah, beaten by Melia and Bennett. And did, uh, did Coy beat him out of the wheel in, in the fifth stage? Yeah, he did. I think he did. He did, yeah. I also feel when it comes to Peterson that compared to last year, I feel like he's less consistent in the flat sprints. He's not as close in the flat sprints. He was in the wheel of Fanat, for example, last year in the sprints and so forth. This year, his, his three wins are Walter wins, and one of them is like very versatile or very adaptive, where was it the, the Bamer side classics where he was one of the sprinters, but then he does like a classics move of bridging towards the breakaway in the last kilometer and then out sprinting the breakaway. Do I count it as a an adaptability feature to the sprint judgment i don't know that's more classic style in my opinion he is the best sprinter on peterson finishes which is actually i don't know anymore as in limoges in the tour de france was perfection for him i actually thought philipson would have been able to beat him there but he didn't but then i know the lee beats him on belgarde in in Bessege, and i'm like that's a peterson finish too so i'm like oh that's a bit harder that's deeper. Yeah, but he was always king there in the past, eh? Candily beat him on Limoges. Candily beat him on a hot January day up the Wollonga town drag that Cockard won. I'd like to see that. That'd be an interesting oh finish too. Or the Quebec finish. Um, or that uh, hilly finish in Polonia that yeah. we saw Carapaz win at some point and Ackerman a few years before. I'd like to see it, but yeah, he had a great year, but in terms of bunch sprints, not uh, not cracking my top three for sure. Cavendish, the win at the Giro, one total win. The lead-out obviously wasn't great. Uh, they have invested in that next year. Milan, breakout year, beat Groenewegen in Saudi, coming out of his wheel, destroyed him, jumps way, way too early. Positioning is a bit of a problem, uh, but I'm keen to see him at Trek next year. I think he'll do the Giro and take some of the sprint weight off Pedersen's shoulders. Uh and then others that I really want to highlight, obviously there's Gavira, who looked good at the start of the year, maybe got the extension, and then uh, didn't see him for the rest of the year. Tyson, quick at times, decline. I actually think if Tudor get the wild card, will win a Giro stage. Luke will like Dainese that. Dainese style. I think decline's better than Dainese. Okay. I, I think decline's actually pretty solid uh, sprinter. Ackerman went to Israel, don't know what they were thinking. Um, Demar at Arkea, just lacks the top end to me, but obviously very, very fit rider. But yeah, just lacks that top end. Milano is the one I want to highlight from your shortlist, Benji, of sort of the, mm -hmm. the honorable mentions. How good would Milano be on 21 Quickstep or 2024 Bora? Or 2023 Alperson in Groves' yeah. position? Yeah. 
I don't know. He's like, pretty good. He's pretty good, and I feel like he's also pretty good at positioning himself sometimes. Now, the stage when he did have it, the Vuelta was one with a perfect lead-out. That's the Oliveira yeah, one where yeah, that's good. Oliveira shot him past people. For me, it's just very inconsistent, and I don't know what the reasoning is for that. As in Guangxi, he was consistent, but I feel like over the years, I've got a very inconsistent feeling about Molano, where over the Veltas that he rode and so forth, he wasn't competitive against the, the tier two, three competitors, but then suddenly out of nowhere, he, he can win a stage. And it always feels like that for me. Even the Vuelta, even the Vuelta itself, there's some random sprint stages where he's just nowhere. Like yeah. stage 19. He's coming 20th. Don't know if he had a mechanical or something with a Dainese one. Or stage, the stage in Madrid. Yeah, maybe he crashed. Uh, and Groves lead out crashed in front of him unhelpfully tw in twice in the sprint stages yep. in the Vuelta as well. But, you know, the big highlight is he won a UAE tour stage and he was competitive sort of in the other two against Wellsford, Coy, Groenewegen, uh, Merlier with, who was this lead out? If I'm looking at UAE. His lead, out, UAE tour. his lead out at UAE tour was Langen and Bjerg. Like, I don't think he had a problem. I think he was positioning himself. Yeah. So <laughs> as a one-man army, he's really, really good. So I just want to give a shout out to Milano, as you said, a bit yeah. inconsistent. But let's, let's go through your um, top five, Benji. The fifth position was the hardest for me because on one end, you've got the versatile Peterson who can win Grand Tour stage on his specific terrain, can be relatively consistent throughout the actual sprints, but on pure flat sprints has a difficulty actually competing for the win at any point. So that's a difficult one. Then you've got the verse, the, the traditional ones, Jakobs and Hulunewegen, who had their... who didn't have the best season. Let's be honest about that. Had both one World Tour win, had some other wins next to that. And looking at those three... I put Peterson at the top personally because I like the versatility for where cycling is going with versatility mattering more in sprints these days. So I've put him above Jakobs and Grunewagen because their season just wasn't that great. Honorable mentions that did not make my top five are Cavendish winning that Giro stage, Wellsford, Lee, Bauhaus, Van Aert, stuff like that. Just most of the list we already mentioned is not making my top five, obviously. And above Peterson, I've got, I've got Groves in fourth, under Koy. The reason I've got Groves under Koi is that I mentioned it before. While, while Koi has stat padded his victories, I do believe Koi is significantly faster on the footprints and is also slightly versatile, while getting Groves is very versatile, but has mostly won races with limited competition to the point that only the Giro victory was truly prestigious when it comes to competition. So the comparison there is that I value that from Koi more than Groves, and therefore Koi is on third spot. So Peterson fifth, Groves fourth, Koi third, Merlier I've got second, you mentioned two reasons earlier, as in his schedule was not good to represent him as a top three sprinter, and he would have had better results if he was sent to a Grand Tour where he would undoubtedly have won a stage. He can compete for a victory at the Giro, he can compete for a victory at the Vuelta, and if he's in a good position also at the Tour de France. Second for me in that. And then Jasper Philipsen in first. Well, there, there's no... Yeah. Let's, no need to talk about that one. But like, are we... Are we judging Grunewagen and Jakobsen too much on the fact that they had to focus on the Tour de France and therefore did not get the, the Merlier-style race schedule? I mean, Grunewagen did. A million, they did a million other race days too, you know? Yeah. Kronovegan did Torreno. Didn't yep. win it. Uh, it did win at Saudi, but yeah, he did die. Amelir UAE brings it up for me. Yeah. That was on point. That was on level. I and am. What? Yeah. And the Paranese was a nice sprint win, too. I, I've gone yep. with fifth, Kronovegan. Okay. I think Kronovegan, I would take him over Pedersen as a bunch sprinter this year, uh, all things considered. Fourth, Groves, just because. He's so versatile. Third, yeah, I have Koi as well. Even Stop though... Stop copying me! <laughs> yeah, because I don't think... Also, it's not like Koi is getting gift-wrapped a lot of these wins either. Like, he's putting himself in position, and 
I also don't know who his lead up would be in the if he does the Grand Tour next year. Merlier also have second and Philipson first. Because, yeah, Merlier, I think if he goes to Vuelta, his season would look a lot different. It yep. really would. Uh, surely he would have won a stage. And... Well, no, too probably. But then again, last year we fought the same, right? And then Bennett scored yeah. a way to Van Poppel lead out. So let us know what your top five is. It's pretty hard. I'd like to see anybody that doesn't have Jasper Philipson in first. Who do you think is number one next year, Benji? That's what I'd like to end on. It's it's always hard because when you're in this season, it feels like Jasper Philipson will just continue his, yeah. his just season into next year He's and just young. dominate next year again. I I think Philipson will be the number one sprinter next year because Vanderpool will probably be used in the same way yeah, for okay. Philipson as well. But does the Olympics, that. Vanderpool might do the Giro, then prepare for the Olympics. Or he might do the Tour de France and use the, what is that? What is that term they use for the over... Training, like what he did this year. Yeah, but also there's a term for that, no? When you're like overcompensation or something towards Olympics Overload. that come just after? Overload, overtrain, overstimulate. Because anyway, like I mentioned it in like a podcast recently where if you look at the World Championships, this year was also Tour de France people that were in there. So yeah. then again, if he focuses on mountain bike, that completely changes this entire story. And then... He'll do, but he'll fight. do road race and mountain bike. And if he does yeah. the Giro, then, you know, Jonas Rigo will be last man. Maybe it's more difficult for him next year. But yeah, it's hard to look past Philipson. He even finished the year dominating at Turkey, winning like mm -hmm. four stages of Tour of Turkey. Uh, this year against yeah, Cavendish. But... And oh, I mean, it was against Cavendish. And... His ball. Well, Cavendish didn't sprint, right? That was strange, yeah. Um, he was doing lead out for Because he's like an ambassador for the race yeah. as well. <laughs> um, but cool yeah. move up, though. Because like... I already mentioned it. I think Wellsford is going to move up from like, I had him like towards the end of my top 10 right here. But I expect him with a Van Poppel lead out, if it's on point, to jump into the top five and even compete with the top three next year. I think Groves will move down. Okay. I think too, because it will be difficult to go to the Vuelta with the same level of competition. Yeah. And the Giro. The Giro has to have a better start list. Yeah. Possibly Milan moves up. Uh, I don't yeah. see him in your top 12. I have him above Phil Bauhaus. I forgot Bauhaus. to put him in there. Yeah. If, a violation. Um, I think Milan will move up a lot. But yeah. may, it depends on the lead out as well. It's going to be interesting to see how the lead outs are split between him and Pedersen, just like with Ewan and Groenewegen, just like with Merlier and whoever. Uh, <laughs> as a sprinter, now Jakobsen's gone. Uh, so you think... You think Wellsford's moving up from into maybe the top five? Yeah, I think Wellsford's moving up to the top five. I think Coy might be competing for the top two next year, depending on the lead out that he has, if he goes to the Giro and so forth. It all depends on that. Yeah. Because if he does arrives with a shit lead out, he might just be on the on the same level as this year in that yeah. sense. Um so those two I'm looking at. I think Ewan moves up a lot. Yeah, he's not even in my top twelve, so Yeah, I think Ewan it, it's the only way is up. The only way is up. So <laughs> can't go much more yeah, down. Eh? I think Ewan moves up. Uh, but yeah, let us know what you think. Uh, I think it was a pretty strange year for sprinters. Maybe yeah. I, I think it wasn't the best Wait. year for like sprinting. Is it possible that Merlier contests Philipson? I think that he's the one. Yeah, but uh, who's his last man? Merku's well, off to UNOX. No, Merku's gone to Astana with Cav. Kasper Peterson, I don't know. Kasper Peterson, no good. I had a look at his, for unrelated reasons, I had a look at his, all, every lead out he did this year, um, earlier in the month. And I don't know, I'm not sure he's the solution. Maybe he improves. It was his first, you know, he's transitioning from track cycling. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it all, uh, I think Corona Vega moves up too. And, does Cav get a stage win in, in the TDF, Benji? Because he's extended. <laughs> the last time you asked that to me, I told you that he was going to win on the Champs-Élysées, so not exactly making a good <laughs> mark for myself there. Well, Mercu, um, Caseball, Cantor. Uh, for, for, the sakes of, for the sakes of banter, yes, he's going to win. He's going to win a stage at the Tour de France. And I will go as far as saying that Jakobsen's the one that will move down, in my opinion, because at quick step, he at least sometimes got into a good position. At DSM, I just don't trust them to get him into a good position at all. Yeah, me either, because, like, do you put Tobias Lund as that lead-out role? I think you might. 
They got Meyerhofer. Can he do that? So they do have the young riders, but yeah, it's, they're going to have to work that out. Denkolb, Denkolb, frankly, can't do it. I watched enough of that this year, and I wasn't particularly yeah. impressed uh, with his leadouts. But yeah, let us know. I already said that before. We're, what's the, what's next, Benji? We've Wait. done we done leadouts and sprinters. I think they got Brom Welton from Groupama as well at the SM, which... FDJ got Mark Soro, baby. Just announced. <laughs> Someone told me there's no... <laughs> Mark Soro. <laughs> people stealing a living. <laughs> Rude. <laughs> What's he... I guess is he the... Wasn't he the man that cleaned up the Photoshop <laughs> on two years yeah, ago? Yeah, yeah. He is the ultimate farmer, man. Like, <laughs> in a good to... way, right? No, last year he won three stages in a row of Photoshop on. Yeah, they're trying to. Um, is there a big battle in Potter? Wait, um, how about this? We've got a head-to-head. Will Sam Bennett at Aja Desire or Marek Saro at Groupama? Who's going to have the better season next season? It was a battle. The Battle of Poitiers was in nine, in thirteen fifty six. I remember Christ. that. Um, <laughs> who Saro versus Bennett? Yeah, Benedetta Jusser. Nah, I mean Demar versus Benedetta. Come on, Soro, let's be serious. Let Demar will have a better be, season Let's than be Bennett. serious for a second. You think Demar will have a better season? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, Age of Two are not exactly renowned for their... Um... Sprinting abilities. <laughs> who's their, who's their Brumati? Not sure, but yeah. I think uh, FDJ are trying to replace Demar with uh, a number of riders like Penway and Pithy yeah. and Soro in, and they're probably all three of them cheaper than Demar's salary combined, I would say, so... Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the cash is short and they need, they need sprinters for the French circuit. There's just so many races like Paris Shawnee and whatever, yeah. all these races. Uh, and he only had 27 race days this year, so maybe he was sick or had a crash, don't know. Uh, anyway, um, thanks for listening as always. We'll be yeah. back with maybe our Classics Awards, uh, Classics Riders Awards. Uh, next, I would dare say... Uh, as well as uh, then we've got the GC Awards, All Round Rider Awards. They might not all be as long as this. We might try and tighten it up. Reminder, we are going to Ruler Live on Friday, the 3rd of November. If you haven't got your tickets to see us at 7 p.m., then as well, we'll be talking about transfers, non-mergers, mergers, and, and more stuff, some of which we haven't covered because there's a lot of transfer news still going. Um, but yeah, hope you enjoyed it, and we'll see you with, with the next award show soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 